As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. It's close to a year, 49 weeks and counting since the Premier League handed Manchester City a charge sheet with 115 breaches of its financial rules across nine different seasons. Just yesterday, the Premier League brought charges against both Nottingham Forest and for the second time this season, Everton. All before the reigning Premier League champions are to even see a hearing begin. So, what is going on? Are PSR rules really about promoting sustainability, meeting arbitrary deadlines or maybe just maintaining the status quo? And is the Everton ruling to blame for an unusually quiet January transfer window? I'm Ayoki Molare. Welcome to the Athletic Football Podcast. Look, we've got a heavyweight lineup for today's podcast. We've got the Avengers together, and I'm joined by the Athletics' David Ornstein, who broke this story actually over the weekend, and also Matt Slater and Adam Crafting. Uh, David, let's start with Everton. Look, being charged again, didn't they just recover from what a 10 point deduction, which actually left them at the brink of relegation a couple of months ago? Yeah, let's lay out the situation as succinctly as possible. The Premier League has a financial fair play model. It's now called profitability and sustainability rules. The essence is that you live within your means. You spend what you earn. They allow losses within that of a maximum of £105 million across a three-year period. Everton were found in the last calculation to have exceeded that £105 million limit by £19.5 million. They were subsequently handed a 10-point deduction by an independent commission. They have appealed against that penalty, and that appeal is going to be heard pretty soon, and they will hope for a positive outcome. In the meantime, we have moved on to the next three-year accounting period, and Everton have again been found in breach. We don't know the details for certain, but it's very likely to be exactly the same charge, the £19.5 million overspend, because that is still within the three-year rolling cycle. Uh, They are expected to protest their innocence 
and launch a staunch defense um, and put forward mitigations such as you have already punished us once, you shouldn't be punishing us again. And it's plausible that the outcome of the appeal against the first punishment could have an impact on the second charge. What's going to happen now is that Everton have a couple of weeks to respond. Another independent commission will be set up. They will hear the case once they know the outcome of the first appeal, by the way. And then the Premier League hopes that this will be wrapped up by the end of the year. There is a backstop just after the end of the Premier League season. So it's conceivable that this could go on past the final day of the Premier League season. The Premier League will hope not, but they want to make sure it is completely finished by the time the Premier League holds its summer AGM. It's an expedited process now that has resulted from clubs being unhappy that Everton's first case took so long. The rules are going to be changing again in the summer, which adds further complexity to the situation. And we'll get into discuss that in this pod. Matt, in terms of Forest, um, are we surprised that they've been dragged into this mess? I mean, what, 40-odd signings um, all at once coming up into the Premier League? No, we're not surprised at all, are we? I mean, it, I think it was 42. I can't remember the actual total price tag. But look, you know, when you're going to spend that much money um, on players and, of course, wages, you're going to be... You know, certainly in the in the conversation around a around an FFP breach, and and I think the thing to for fans to remember is is just how we account for transfers. So, if you spend a hundred million pounds on a player, it doesn't immediately show up in next season's profit and loss account as a hundred million pounds. It is amortised. It is stretched over the course of the player's contract. So, just really simply. I'll do it simply because my it's early and my brain's not working quickly. <laughs> Hundred million pound player, four year contract. That's 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 twenty five million pounds a year as your amortization charge. So if you think about how complicated these these sums are, these these submissions are, you have spend. There's a lag. It's sort of stretched over a period of time. So a big bout of spending. And if we go back to the Everton example, there was a huge sort of splurge by by Mashiri. Initially, that spending is stretched over a period of time. Of course, you are selling players as well. Confusingly, the sale of a player happens immediately in your accounts. So there are sort of various things going on at once. So people often sort of get very focused on, oh, net spend, my net spend this year. You know what? Why why am I in trouble? Well, it'll be because you know your amortization costs. There's a lag there. Equally, the Brennan Johnson example I think does raise some really interesting questions about. Is this the best way? And I think, as David has alluded to, we're going to change. We're going to. The Premier League is likely to to mirror uh, the move UEFA has already made, where we go to a sort of slightly different. Um, well, it is actually quite radically different um, uh, approach to this. It's this squad cost rule, where you know, again, it's tied to revenue, so it's a percentage of revenue. But it is, a, I think, a bit, a bit of a more subtle tool. We can maybe talk about that later, but. With, with this with this timing issue, this Brennan Johnson issue, I think the Forest do have a reasonable point to make. But again, I want to stress, and I've heard it again on the radio this morning as I was making my breakfast, this idea that these are alleged charges, right? Or that they're, no, that's not quite how this system works. It really is an adding up exercise. 
Forest and Everton have accepted their, their breaches. They've accepted. They've handed their submission in and go, yeah, we're over. There is no allegation. What we have now is a conversation around mitigation, right? Sorry, Your Honour, we're over your limit. Of course we are. Here's our numbers. Everyone could see it. However, this is why we're over. We did actually do a whole podcast on it. Everton made choices about how they tackled the issue of funding a stadium. The Premier League does not punish clubs for building stadiums. You capitalise stadium costs. Everton did it in a slightly unusual way. Some of it bad luck to do with they thought they were going to get this, you know, this wonderful naming rights deal from Farhad Mashiri's business partner, Alicia Usmanov. Some of it was because their accounts were such a mess, they were, they were so like, poorly run that they couldn't borrow from the market early. But a lot of it is self-afflicted as well. So Everton is a complicated picture. Forest is a much simpler picture. And there will be this argument around mitigation on the Brennan Johnson thing. And I think, you know, what are we trying to do here? What's the Premier League trying to do for its clubs? If this is about sustainability, surely we should be encouraging clubs to get as much money for their, their assets when they sell them and not worrying too much about what might be an arbitrary deadline. The problem, of course, there is, well, hold on a minute, we have to have a deadline, otherwise everyone's doing their own thing. There has to be, you know, a rule. These rules were voted in. So, look, that that's your mitigation debate. We've gone for a system where we are trying to tie spending on the pitch with how much money you're bringing through the door. So that, that as a concept, is not that hard to address. And it, it's a challenge for all clubs to stay on top of it. Just thinking about what they might both have in common, really. And I think we, we were speaking about this just before we started recording the pod. And I think Ollie Kay writes about it this morning in that they're fundamentally being punished for, for a lack of strategy or, you know, that perhaps their machine isn't as sophisticated as the other ones, Chelsea, Manchester City, Adam. It depends how far you want to go back, really, with Everton. You know, Everton were, for many years, you know, if you go back to the time where David Moyes was there, they were the club that would kind of be the, the Premier League's dream club, right? They were being run pretty sustainably. They'd, set, they'd buy players cheap. They'd sell reasonably well. Um, and then obviously you have the Farhad Mashiri reign, which has been completely shambolic. And, you know, I suppose th this is this is where you get to the whole question about you know, the fit and the proper owner. What, what safeguards do you have from somebody who appears to have the money to buy a club, but then comes in and has, you know, a pretty awful strategy, which involves spending a load of money and, and running a club pretty unsustainably. Now, at the moment, there seems to be a bit of talk around, and we're putting all different strings here because there's so many different ways you can weave at this conversation. But what you're starting to see is almost this backlash now completely against FFP as though it's all kind of one big conspiracy to forever and ever and ever lock in the same clubs. Now, we can have a conversation about that, but if we're going to have that conversation, we also have to remember why financial fair play has been necessary. That is because football clubs couldn't really be trusted to run themselves sustainably. Clubs were, were at risk of going out of business. Even with these rules in place, Everton are in an incredibly fragile situation. I mean, let's see what happens with the takeover that's about to happen. Um, or if it happens at all at the moment. So these clubs do need protecting from themselves at certain times. And the best way to do that is probably the bit that's contested. Where, where I have sympathy for Everton is in one day kind of being done twice, some of which is on the same thing. But where I have very little sympathy is 
Their calculations appear to be being based on money they were going to be getting from a commercial deal with a guy in, in Uzmanov that they'd spent years telling us they didn't really have ties to. And then all of a sudden, you have these accounts come out and you have these punishments and we have an evidence statement, you know, due to the war in Ukraine, unforeseen circumstances. Well, unforeseen to a certain extent, but people who were paying attention to what was going on in Russia and Ukraine for the last few years, this wasn't completely unforeseeable, that there could be a point down the line where access to some money becomes a bit more difficult. So if you're basing your projections and how you hope to bring in revenue on that basis, then it puts you at risk. And that's what, that's how it's kind of turned out. So we took a punishment already for two of these years. And now we're getting punished again for two of these years. I, I, I understand the frustration of the supporters, but I mean, the, the rules are there for a reason. They've accepted that they've broken them. It's really a case now of almost like damaged damage limitation. You know, how much can you get these points deductions down? Can you get a fine instead of a points deduction perhaps? But is a fine a sufficient enough disincentive for other clubs, you know, to not push at the boundaries? What you're seeing at the moment is you'll have clubs like Everton and Forest now kind of saying these rules aren't fit for purpose perhaps or the rules need to be changed. I don't expect these rules to be really significantly changed in terms of getting a majority in the league. And probably the big reason for that is everyone knows that Newcastle are there, mm. right? So if you relax these rules too much, then Newcastle have this huge, huge access to money. And I think a lot of the people that make the rules, i.e. the Premier League clubs, will be very wary of that. So that's where the conversation starts to come again into, is this protectionist or is this trying to protect? Um, and by protect there, I mean kind of safeguard. Is it about protecting the status of big clubs or is it about safeguarding clubs such as Everton from themselves? And that, I suppose that kind of gets at the heart of the debate. I just wanted to to raise a couple of points, um, and and the guys were, were spot on when speaking about Everton. One of the reactions that I, I've seen the most on on social media, and and by the way, the majority of Everton fans that I've seen or spoken to seem to get this that they're very critical of the uh, expenditure in the early years under Farhad Mashiri, and even you know they were trying to pay for a stadium. Uh, as Matt explains, in in ways that were not necessarily how they should have been, or they didn't have the money available because of what's gone before. And then you see lots of fans saying, "But we haven't spent in the last couple of years. We we we've done nothing on transfers. If this was on squad expenditure in the last couple of years, Everton would be absolutely fine. The football side of things, the transfer spending was low. We've talked about this on previous podcasts. They've structured." many of the payments for for further down the line they're in really good shape on that front this kind of all relates to that historic 19.5 million pound overspend which remains in the calculation so we just need to sort of put that to bed it, it's not that other clubs are spending loads of money on transfers and Everton aren't now uh, it's related to the stadium and th this other consensus that that there's like an agenda against Everton or or the Premier League's corrupt it, it everybody's entitled to have their view and and it's not for sort of me to persuade them otherwise but i think we need to sort of be a little bit patient here so nottingham forest have found themselves in trouble now as well uh 
Manchester City's case needs to be resolved. We'll, we'll come on to explain why that hasn't been dealt with yet, but it's possible that they could face a heavy punishment further down the line. There's an investigation about Chelsea. That's slightly different to FFP. I think that's more uh, tax-related, uh, relating to the Roman Abramovich era. Others are extremely close to the line. Newcastle, for example, uh, they've recorded a plus 70 million loss for one year of the latest FFP calculation. They need to do some serious work in the following two if they're going to be compliant. And that's why there's talk of potential sales and needing to increase their revenues. Arsenal and Manchester United aren't spending at the moment for that reason. So you may accuse the Premier League of being heartless or the... Uh, and by the way, by the way, this will all come down to the commission rather than the Premier League. It's not the Premier League that handed the points deduction to Everton. It's this independent commission. Um, you may say that they're, they're, the punishment is draconian, but it, it's almost like until we see how this plays out in, in the coming times with... with many clubs in an uncomfortable position. We don't know for sure that Everton are being treated unfairly or whether they're kind of, unfortunately for them, the start of a bit of a wave of, of punishments that may come the way of multiple clubs. You're listening to The Athletic Football Podcast with Io Akinwalere. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. This episode is supported by FX's Welcome to Wrexham. Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the team's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher league. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenge and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. All new Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. But can you understand fans frustration when uh, Man City is taking so long meanwhile Everton have had no, yes, two charges Man Notts Forest yesterday charged I can, so, I, I can but they are very different charges um, that's all I would say um, if any club whether the current champions or otherwise had been found uh, in breach of the spending rules <coughs> for year 23 they would be in exactly the same position uh, as Everton or Nottingham Forest um, but the volume and character of the uh, charges laid before Man City, which I obviously cannot talk about at all, are being heard in a completely different uh, environment. Um, um, there is a date set for that um, for that proceeding. I can't, unfortunately, I can't tell you when that is, but that is progressing. Can you Let's talk about Manchester City and uh, be people listening to this pod going. Tell us about City, Matt. Uh, you know, David alluded to it earlier. Um, Let's just reiterate, why is it different to the Everton case? Blimey. Uh, how, how many different ways can I tell you? 115 <laughs> different ways is different. Um, look, well, when we talk about Nottingham Forest and Everton, like I said, we, we really are talking about a sort of adding up exercise. Um, yeah, there's some complicated bits around when you capitalise a stadium project. That means when you take it out of your profit and loss, your annual profit and loss, and you put it on the balance sheet, 
therefore it doesn't become an FFP issue. Uh, there can be an argument about, well, we couldn't sell the player then because it would have been stupid. It would have been like, you know, counterintuitive to sell it then. We sold him two months later. Already season has started, by the way. Um, so, you know, uh, yeah, there are, there are some complicated bits around the edges, but it is fundamentally quite straightforward. Manchester City's case, and I have said this on so many different podcasts and I've written it so many times and I still see it. It's, you know, people just don't can't get their heads around it. And I, and I, I sort of see why they can't because it does appear to be this sort of simple story of one rule for them, another rule for everybody else. The Manchester City case is completely different. It is an, The allegations are around lying. Lying, cheating, uh, a conspiracy to lie and cheat, uh, really cynical project to deceive UEFA, the Premier League, fans, all of us, they've been through a couple of processes already. They lied to those processes. Do you see the point? I've said lie about three or four times. When you accuse someone of lying and cheating, that's a big allegation. You need big proof. Then we have to think about, okay, well, who are we accusing of lying and cheating? We're accusing the owners. We're accusing well, the, the owners presumably lying to the auditors because all these accounts were audited. We're accusing, because this is all about Manchester City's uh, inflated sponsorship deals, so the sponsors were in on it. Uh, and then we start to think, well, hold on a minute, who, who owns Manchester City? Well, okay, well, then we have a little debate about whether it is UAE or whether it's just the Deputy Prime Minister of UAE. But anyway, Sheikh Mansour, uh, powerful member of the UAE Abu Dhabi royal family, um, you're saying you lied, you were in on it. This is massive. This is massive for the Premier League. It's pretty big for the UK. This is not a simple case. Yeah, well, this is this is what I was also thinking in terms of um, corporations in general and uh, trying to shift things a bit further on down the line, Adam. Is, is it just the case that City have got incredibly good lawyers? You know, um, and they they know their realms within the, their position in the law at this moment in time. And because they have got great lawyers, it sort of extends this case a bit further and further on. Well, they've all got good lawyers, mm. um, you know, you'd think, and they've all got access to quite a lot of money. So it's certainly true, you know, City have been aggressive legally and, you know, they've taken every possible step at certain times to make sure this isn't necessarily the fastest process. However, they're absolutely entitled to do that. They're being accused of really, really serious things. The issue the Premier League have is that for most people, they aren't going to be following this in the depth that we are, or Matt, or certainly that, that Matt has been for the last decade. And as a result of that, what the headline that you see, the headline that you you kind of feel is, there's a load of clubs being accused of financial issues and some clubs that are seeing the consequences of that much faster than the club that's getting the medals at the end of most seasons. That is an optics issue. It's a communications issue. I'm not really sure how the Premier League gets around that, other than basically just relying on people like us to continually explain it, because they don't really come out and explain it themselves. Um, and they, they could do that, right? You know, They basically seem to take the approach that all of this stuff is so important, so confidential, that it can't even be discussed publicly whatsoever. And actually, they could. Premier League's chief executive, Richard Masters, or other people who work at the Premier League, could be coming out and doing high-profile broadcast interviews. It doesn't have to be with us. Go on, 
go on BBC One if you if you want, get that coverage and exposure and explain, explain the differences clearly between the cases, explain why this issue with Manchester City is taking as long as it has, explain the complexities, explain the delays. And then I think at least you then put yourself in a position where um, people who have a kind of a more passing interest in some of this are able to understand it a little bit better. But the Premier League doesn't work like that. There is a date set for that um, for that proceeding. I can't, unfortunately, I can't tell you when that is, but that is progressing. And you wonder where that's coming from. Is it coming from kind of the people at Premier League HQ who don't really have that personality, who want to do that, who don't necessarily see themselves as perhaps being strong enough to do that in terms of their positions? Or is it actually, because the Premier League is essentially a, a club, right? It's it's a member-led organisation. Do the clubs actually want the Premier League HQ coming out and being communicative and being open and transparent? Yeah, it's very easy at the moment where you, <laughs> you have these clubs that are disgruntled and feeling disenfranchised, where they're all like, Oh, the Premier League's all over the place, as though the Premier, as though they've, as though they've not been in it forever. Right? <laughs> Everton have been there forever. Mm. They've been around the table. Mm. Sort it out. Try and change the rules if you don't like the rules. Uh, speak openly about the issues with the rules. Don't just do it when all of a sudden you're staring at repeated points deductions. So I think those are some of the issues that the Premier League has had. Whether that's a communications or an optics issue, whether it's also tribalism. Right? There's. A lot of football fans, particularly, you know, Liverpool, Manchester United, Arsenal, perhaps over the last decade, Chelsea to a certain extent, who will be looking at Man City and thinking, God, what could we have won? Right. So, of course, tribalism comes into this. Of course, an element of conspiracy and paranoia comes in because because football fandom is it's kind of the thing we're allowed, we're allowed to be a little bit irrational about. As football fans, we do really serious things in our lives all week. It might be parenting, it might be jobs, it might be whatever the stresses are in your life. When it comes to football, you can be a bit irrational. You can be like, oh, of course they're, you know, they're not going to take on mighty man city. Because that's the way that that's the conversations that people have. So the Premier League has to be aware of that, right? And I'm not saying that you have to stop confronting every crank and conspiracy theory, but you do at least need to put yourself in a position where you're being sufficiently transparent and open so that most sensible people can look at this and think, yeah, I get, I, I can understand that, right? It's frustrating. I don't know. I don't like it, but I understand why it's taking as long as it is because they're really coming out and attempting to explain it. It's worth a couple of FFP PSR housekeeping points that we've mentioned and, and so have every sort of other media outlet for a long time. But f- firstly, to Adam's point, um, Premier League rule changes, um, are made by the Premier League clubs. So you need a, a majority, 14 out of the 20, to, to pass rule changes. So the current rules that we're seeing now um, and the potential changes that will come to this system in the summer um, are put in place, voted for by the Premier League clubs, that Everton and Forest are around the table at the moment and they have their input and um, so do others who are unhappy, happy one way or the other. In response to every single story or report that we're doing at the moment, underneath articles on The Athletic, in response to these podcasts, underneath your social media posts, 99% are saying, what about City? So 
crucial to mention that City also, on top of what Matt has explained, they deny their charges. Mm. So there was admission of um, breach to an extent by Everton and Nottingham Forest to get to this point. Everton did comply with the process. They they did agree to expedition. Manchester City haven't because they don't believe they have any wrongdoing. Yes, they will probably throw um, a lot of legal support at it. So have Everton. I'm sure Nottingham Forest will with Nick DeMarco as well. So Manchester City aren't alone in that, but they deny the charges. There's a vehemently deny the charges uh, and are going to robustly defend themselves. Yes. Um, So there are real differences here and the Premier League clubs do have control over how we got here and the future. And, And we can't get away from that when hearing the justifications, mitigations, complaints. Many of us do have a lot of sympathy for Everton, the current regime, their supporters, those of Nottingham Forest as well. But the rules are there and and you were part of putting them in place. Nottingham Forest maybe less so because they weren't in the Premier League at the time that the current rules came about. Perhaps the June 30 cutoff when the transfer window is open, in the case of Nottingham Forest and Brennan Johnson and Everton, because they sold Richarlison before the 30th of June cutoff, when they feel they could have got more money for him later, perhaps that 30th of June deadline doesn't work and, and the clubs will get their heads together and move it. Perhaps this submitting your accounts by the 31st of December and then learning your punishment in the middle of January or the, that you've been charged doesn't work, but they are in control of putting that in place and of potentially moving it. Yeah, I'm just thinking about what you were talking about in terms of the Premier League being a bit of a, a mess right at the top here. Um, do, we, do we get a sense that any execs at the clubs that you all speak to think the rules are actually working, Matt? Uh, well, by definition, the fact that they're, they're, they're changing them, doesn't that, doesn't that suggest something mm. pretty clear that we, we are... The, the clubs themselves are, are are not convinced, and look, Dave is right. You know the the the, the change this season to try and get the justice quicker. You know this very simple principle of justice delayed is justice denied. You know that that was a fudge, that was an amendment, and that was really the Everton first case is the sort of example there that did spill over into the following season, and of course that upset relegated clubs. You know if Everton if that punishment was applied at the right time, the table would have been very different. So. David's point is, is is just absolutely fundamental to this. People, people really need to understand this. The Premier League has 20 shareholders. They are the clubs. That's what you get when you get promoted, right? You get a share of the league. That's what those shareholder meetings are all about. That's where the votes are. Remember that, two-thirds, 14 out of the 20 to change things. And and, and Adam's right. Everton have, have been there forever. You know, They were one of the founding members. They, they pushed for this. So remember that. And I think Adam also makes this really interesting point about what the Premier League isn't. It's not the National Football League. It's not the NFL. Richard Masters, CEO, is not the commissioner of the NFL. Right? You think about some of the huge cases, Deshaun Watson, I don't know how many people listening are across NFL stuff, Deflategate, Tom Brady. That is the NFL versus one of its clubs. Roger Goodell, the NFL commissioner, would speak, would speak about what's going on. He is a high-profile figure in US sport. Richard Masters is not that guy. And he's not that guy because that's the way the clubs have wanted the Premier League. Now I'm talking about the the institution, the organisation, the office in West London near Paddington Station, which is about the same size as the Athletic UK, by the way. We're not talking about a massive operation. 
I think the NFL staff some like 900. I think the Premier League is about 150. It is a largely a sales operation, and it does it brilliantly. It's the best in world club football, selling media rights and, and, and central sponsorships, and it organises the competition, right, the fixtures and what have you. That's basically it. It has a little bit of a regulatory role, but a very under... Uh, kind of explained um, it's a very sort of loose regulatory role and it's why we have these wonderful podcasts and we, I, get, I get I basically have a job right because I'm constantly explaining how the Premier League almost you know almost makes it up as it goes along and that brings me to the point that I really wanted to make when Adam was talking that funnily enough in about half an hour I know that people won't be listening to this in half an hour but half an hour of us finishing this Richard Masters is speaking he is speaking to the Culture, Media and Sports Select Committee and he's going to be grilled on the new deal of football, the new deal for football, which is this whole financial redistribution package for the for the, for the the uh, EFL, but also just on the governance of football. He will be asked about this. He'll be asked about Everton and Forest. I guarantee you. Matt, could I, could I ask you, do you think it is, because we saw this with, I think, when the City bre- alleged breaches dropped as well, the timing of this uh-huh, the day yeah. before that appearance, is that coincidence? Is that... Is that some a conspiracy? I've got two, I've got two, I've got two more saying. for you. The charges for Man City came just around the time. I can't remember if it was a few days before, a few days afterwards. The government published its white paper on the new football governance bill, so, i.e., yeah. the independent regulator. Right. So there you had there you had the Premier League sending a message: we can regulate ourselves. Around the time the government was saying, no, you can't. Independent regulation is coming, and Everton were charged the day before. He appeared at the Culture Media Select Committee the last time. The Culture Media Select Committee is just uh, is eleven MPs, backbench MPs, whose job it is is to, um, you know, hold the Minister for Sport and Culture and Media to account, right? But they, but they, you know, they do some good work. They they have some interesting debates, and like I said, we're going to have an interesting one today. Yeah, people have made that point. I actually think that's nonsense. I'm sorry, these these are just coincidences, right? There was a clear timetable set for what we're doing, what we're talking about now. And it just so happens that the CMS Select Committee, you know, want to bring him and Rick Parry, the EFL's chair, in to have a good old powwow about money. But um, yeah, it's an interesting one. Look, and this is the thing about going back to Adam's point: football, it's irrational. Football fans are irrational. Yeah. That is what you do when something bad has happened to your club. You start looking for conspiracies. Fair enough, we all do it. Uh, a quick interjection: that not as. Uh, as full on as the Man City reaction has been a lot of people saying what on earth is going on with Chelsea uh, because their spend has been astronomical, unprecedented since the uh, Todd Bowley Clear Lake Capital uh, ownership came on board. Um, and again, it's more a bit of housekeeping just to explain how they are compliant this time round. Um, Matt talked about the amortization, so I don't need to go over that again. But their sales have been absolutely fundamental to them being able to um, pass the test. Um, And they will have to be very careful going forward because um, the costs will continue. And so they will need to continue to balance the books. And it will be interesting to see how they do that. Now, the Premier League has capped amortization, spreading of costs from there being no cap to just five years. We will all be watching closely if they sell somebody like Conor Gallagher in the January transfer window because homegrown players uh, represent pure profit. And whether you like it or not, they've actually done quite well financially to fall within the limits. 
all of this reputationally for the Premier League. We can explain it as much as we like, uh, but fundamentally, the um, perception out there uh, among vast swathes of the public is that all we're talking about now is FFP, PSR, Clubs can't spend in the January window. They're worried about their financial situations. They're worried about points deductions. Um, the impact this is going to have on the Premier League as a global spectacle, as a product to sell, as a commercial asset, um, the benefit for the UK and the economy, etc. Am I going a bit over the top or are we reaching a point where it's getting out of control? I can say that if you like. Well, um, yeah, look, it's certainly uh, part of the conversation, isn't it? I It's part of the conversation I have zero time for uh, because the Premier League uh, spends so much more than everybody else mm. on transfer fees, on wages, has a huge financial advantage, and it's growing. All the metrics are going in the Premier League's direction. That Oh, my God, just, just shut up about this, please. You want to hear what other people in other parts of the world say about this? Uh, everywhere apart from Saudi Pro League, to be honest. Uh, and they've got a long way to come. All right, so I, I don't have much time for this. Uh, I understand the conversation. Uh, it is again part of that um, wider conversation with government. It kind of helps, you know. Please don't push too much on us because we are very, very true. Uh, a global brand, and how many of those does the UK have right now? And it does actually return a lot of money to the Exchequer, um, you know, through tax receipts. It is a wonderful story. It certainly wasn't a given in 1992 that the Premier League would be the world's best domestic football league. Not, not, not at all. So well done, uh, the good people at the Premier League and the clubs and the media and the players and everyone that has contributed and the fans to creating the success story. But the idea that, you know, a little bit of controversy around PSR and maybe a little bit of belt tightening now is going to damage this product. I'm sorry, there is absolutely zero evidence for that. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. I heard now the Newcastle, whatever is there, said uh, there's no ceiling for this club. Yeah, right. He tells you he's right. <laughs> he's absolutely right. There's no ceiling for Newcastle. Congratulations. Some other clubs have ceilings. I, I just wanted to ask either Adam or Matt again. One of the biggest themes from the conversations I've had with clubs around this is um, the, the rules as they are um, constricting the ability of the so-called lesser clubs to challenge the established elite. So a Newcastle United 
or an Aston Villa, or you could even say the, the attempts of an Everton and Nottingham Forest, perhaps they could be deemed more reckless, you know, historically. Uh, but ultimately, that there is only so much they can do. Okay, Newcastle have the Champions League uh, income ahead. They have the seller front of shirt sponsorship. They're taking on Adidas. They're working on more commercial deals. They have increased their revenues. Although, as Darren Neal's pointed out, they're still way behind a Tottenham, let alone a, a Manchester City. Is this just going to be something that they just have to take their time and wait years and years and years and hope that at some point they will be able to compete financially? Or is that fundamentally unfair? The rich get richer and the rest just kind of have to look up at them. I suppose the counter argument to everything you've just said is Newcastle were taken over, what, how long does it go now? Uh, two and a bit years? Yeah, two, autumn 2021. Right? right, so two and a half years, if that. And in that time, they've gone from a club that looked destined for the championship to a club that's reached the cup final that has reached the Champions League, that has spent hundreds of millions of pounds in the transfer market. Um, and, you know, I mean, are we basically therefore saying that Newcastle should be able to essentially spend whatever they want? And it's unfair if they can't buy enough players so that they definitely win the league within two years. Because actually... In terms of growing sustainably, I'd argue it's reasonably healthy what they've been able to do so far. They've been able to invest. They've been able to invest in infrastructure around training ground. They've been able to build uh, infrastructure around the women's team. Um, they've spent, you know, very competitively. You know, you'd still say, obviously, wage bill would be a huge difference. Of course there would, because that's going to have to catch up. But I don't think it's that unfair, you know, what they've been able to do in the space of two and a half years unless we're basically taking the view that we think an owner should be able to come along and spend as much as he wants, as quick as he wants, as quick as they want in order to achieve what they want as quick as possible. Now, some people will have that view. They'll say, if the money's there, why not, right? Other industries might let it happen. Why should football kind of be different to that? Why shouldn't a Newcastle just be able to do it? Does football really matter that much that we have to in introduce these kind of roadblocks and obstacles? Fair point, right? Fair enough. But the flip side of this is we have seen, you know, look at what the golfers were offered, right? With Live Golf to go and play there. Look at what PSG were offered in the summer by, uh, by a Saudi club for Kylian Mbappe, 300 million. That wasn't a fake story. That was what they were offered. If you're basically saying the Premier League completely relaxes these regulations, well, everything else that we've seen about Saudi investment and the speed at which Saudi wants to impacts the the world would suggest that they would do very similar things with Newcastle. Now, is there some sort of happy medium, right? Is there some sort of happy medium that both protects and safeguards clubs so, so they can run sustainably, but also allows owners to be a little bit more ambitious, particularly in those first few years, right? If I think Gary Neville's had this idea of, you know, owners having to put some sort of bond in to a kind of neutral location almost like when you put a deposit down when you rent a flat right you know you put in some of some of your own money's locked away therefore you're going to take care of the apartment in the time that you're there that's that's one idea for it and that is where this whole thing of the clubs make the rules does become a little bit sort of protectionist 
right? It does become, you know, Manchester United and Liverpool and, Liverpool and Arsenal, of course they don't want Newcastle being able to spend whatever they can because that's bad news for them. But there's also clubs in the middle of the division that don't really want that either because it would, you know, if the club at the top is spending five times more than what's currently being spent on transfer fees, that's going to have an inflationary impact on everyone's spending. Of course, some of the motivation over the years, particularly with some of the big clubs in Europe, has been to stop clubs that have state links from being able to spend as much as they want as quick as they want. Of course, right? But the idea that it's you just get rid of these rules, I think, would be even more damaging. But I don't know. The guys might might disagree with that. Is that like a, allowing every everybody to dope in 100 meter sprinting, Matt? You know, Definitely. because it, it, if some are doing it and some aren't, just allow everybody to do it and then see who wins, which I've always mm. been deeply yeah, opposed yeah. to. Well, I, I agree with that. I think I think you're right. I think it's a good analogy. I mean, I'll make a few points. One, one, um, you know, Adam is is right when he talks about there is there are various things going on with FFP. You know, what what was it for? And the sustainability point is really really important. It goes right back to this is what Platini was talking about. He was UEFA president at the time. When FFP came in, and, and, and it's absolutely right, I think David made this point that the changes that are coming in August are, again, a reaction to changes that UEFA has already made. UEFA started this process 10, 15 years ago, so I first started thinking about it. And at that time, Portsmouth had just gone bust. Rangers were going bust. There were some high-profile bankruptcies on the continent. There was a really alarming stat, and I can't quite remember it, but it was the total owed to tax authorities across European football. Tax authorities, you and I, public services. And every time there's an administration, of course, the tax authorities lose. You and I lose. Schools, roads, all that stuff, normal stuff. Okay, So there are consequences to clubs going bust, right? There are consequences to clubs overspending. And this... The flip side that Adam was talking about, there's a really, there's a really obvious flip side too. The sugar daddy white knight model, let them spend, let them spend, yeah, yeah, is great while the sugar daddy and white knight is willing to do so, willing and able to do so. History tells us, and I could be here all day talking about the clubs that have been owned by very, very wealthy people who have either died, their business has gone bust, they've lost patience, they've got fed up, they've just made terrible mistakes and they've gone. And they've left a club behind with huge debt, running too hot, and it's crashed. That is what you're safeguarding. That's the protection. Yes, absolutely, FFP only really kind of took off because the big clubs were like, oh, not only does it do all that good stuff, all that sort of socially responsible stuff, it might actually kind of be the drawbridge we need, right? Because at that time, they were worried about Man City and Chelsea. Mm. And this finishes my point about the Newcastle. If I go back to your question about Newcastle, did it stop Manchester City and Chelsea? No. Matt, would you not say, and this is the kind of open question which may or may not get a resolution from the Premier League investigation, Newcastle may not be able to do it at the speed Manchester True. City did. Fair point. Fair point. That's where it's different. And that's where it, Newcastle just kind of has to be a slightly longer term project. But they'll probably feel better about it, right? If it takes them seven they, years, actually, if you get there and run sustainably, run sustainably, you'd, you'd and do, it without, do it, do it without an asterisk. Do it without the, the the shortcuts that Man City may have taken. And the other thing to be wary of as well, and you know what Matt was just saying about you know the the sugar daddies that disappear. For fifteen years, we all thought there was you know Roman Abramovich might be there forever. Then all of a sudden, something happens. 
in the world. Sometimes it's not even about the person who actually is is in there deciding to pull away. Sometimes he's put, they're pulled away. And, you know, if I was a Newcastle fan, given everything we know about the world at the moment, I would also want there to be that layer of protection in case, right? At the moment, things are all right between Britain and Saudi and the US and Saudi, just about. But it's a, it's a strange world out there. Matt's right, right, when he says that, the, you know, some of these big clubs, they get to kind of have their cake and eat it, right? They get, get to look like good Samaritans. God, we're just putting, we're wrapping our arms around football. We're making sure that all these clubs, they're looked after. Thank, you know, thank God for <laughs> us, right? Look, look at what we're doing here. Look at, you know, we're saving you. But at the same time, obviously, they're helping themselves. But actually, like, it's not helped most of them that much, right? Man United have had everything that could have been pitted their way for the past decade. You still need some smart brains at the top of it to pull it off. Barcelona, look what's happened there. Yeah. Juventus, look what's happened there. Men will still find, and it is mostly men, <laughs> will find things to mess things up, even if even when everything is pitted their way. So I won't be too anxious if I was a Newcastle fan, although obviously the, the run of form of late isn't great. Yeah, I just wondered, um, just thinking about it all and uh, with it possibly all collapsing, there is someone there waiting with a basket, the Saudi Pro League, to catch a few of these uh, strays falling off, you know. I'm thinking about it, Matt, you know, vying to be, you know, one of the most competitive leagues in the world. I mean, who else can afford the kind of wages that could be falling off the wayside of a Premier League teams? Well, I think the Saudi Pro League example is is a really good way of thinking about why... Again, this goes, hopefully I'm going to neatly wrap it up here. Yeah. <laughs> Circular argument. Why does it have to be a sporting sanction, right, for these for these FFP rules? It needs to be a sporting sanction because if it's not, if it's financial, it just becomes the cost of doing business. It just becomes a luxury tax. And then you do say to Newcastle and to Man City and to Stoke City in Championship, who are the sort of, we've got all the money, can we spend it, please, club in the Championship? You do say to them, go ahead, go for it. Fine. Go for it. For as long as that sugar daddy white knight, your you know your lucky situation exists, you are good for it. The rest of them, oh my god, good luck trying to keep up with that. And you know, and fingers crossed, you don't all lose your minds trying to keep up with it. That that is why the sporting sanction is important because it matters. It actually matters on the table. It is a genuine break. It is a genuine uh, look, guys. There is an actual real cost, a sporting cost to overspending. So I think the Saudi Pro League is this example because it's this outlier. It's not part of any kind of FFP system. It is genuinely a disruptor. I think in that first summer window where they started throwing money around, I think there's real alarm about, ah, okay, was that the beginning? Are they going to double down? Are they going to start really filling out their squads? It's all right, you know, picking off a few three or four 30-year-olds for each team. How about if they start coming after six, seven, eight players to really fill out that league and turn it into a competitive league? That is where you start talking about a talent drain away from European football. And that's where I think it becomes really interesting. Yeah, and January is not expected to be busy for the Saudi Pro League. There will be some bits and bobs, but um, the Premier League clubs can probably rest a little easy about uh, picking off players during this market uh but they'll probably come back very strongly again uh in the summer and they themselves are instituting some rule changes to allow a greater number of foreign players within their squads it was eight previously it's going to be 10 now but at a younger age 
category. So they're actually trying to go for uh, youth players, which is a fascinating talking point in its own right. Uh, if they start to sort of build at academy level and the Premier League are aware of this. Richard Masters has, has talked about it on the record, but they're quite comfortable in their position of dominance at the moment. Um, and to a point that I think uh, is worth touching upon briefly, th these profitability and sustainability rules are, are affecting the January transfer window in the Premier League very, very sharply. Uh, Newcastle are probably the most notable example. Um, They've got to be so careful. We've talked about it previously why. Uh, they could perhaps bring some business forward from that they plan to do in the summer, but then that would just be kicking this can down the road. They do uh, then have a problem in the summer. Um, and some of the other clubs we've mentioned, it's genuinely a very quiet market at the moment. No doubt it will kick off towards the end. There'll be some loans, some uh, loans with options or obligations. There might be the odd permanent transfer. But all we've really seen so far is Timo Werner loaned to Tottenham, Radu Dragosin, a permanent deal to Tottenham, Eric Dyer out of Tottenham, and players like Hannibal Medjbury and Jadon Sancho leaving Manchester United on loan. I think we're going to have to accept that the spectacle that we've seen in previous years of massive permanent signings and, and big spending is, is just not going to happen. And um, uh, and it's been it's, it's actually been it's been a bit devastating for some of the more poorly run clubs in the Premier League, what the Saudis have decided to do in January, which is basically put, put their wallet away. Because I think a few of them were thinking, well, we've got a load of players we still need to get rid of, rid of and we have some accounts that we need to balance out. And Because what, what the clubs don't like, and we saw this with Chelsea last summer to a certain extent, and it's what Forrest are referring to with the Brennan Johnson time deadline as well, where you have to sell players by a certain date in order to hit the account. And all their rivals know this. So it drives down the potential price that you're able to bring in. So that kind of, you know, Man United sent out a kind of delegation to Saudi in late 2023. I mean, everyone else went out in the summer of 23, but United went in, <laughs> in kind of November, December. And they were hoping that some of those kind of big earners, the Saudis who had shown kind of willingness to, to spend on those players in the summer, that that would be the exit route. And that would have also not only get rid of some of those players, but also enable them to bring players in. But the Saudis basically said, we're not, we're not that bothered. I mean, the only thing I think they will do this, this window of no is just sort of make clear again at some point how determined they are to bring Mo Salah over from Liverpool ahead of trying to do that in the summer. It's not going to happen this month, but I think that pursuit, that kind of clear statement that they want, they want to bring him will be made at some point. So it, it, it's an interesting one. And, and the, the whole thing of all the Premier League is, is nervous about Saudi. It's true, but it also needs it because all these clubs, there aren't many other leagues apart from the Premier League that can actually afford to take Premier League players. So it's a bit of a godsend at the same time. And I know we're going on far too long now, but Adam's reference to an exit route um, is fascinating. Uh, get out of jail free card, call it what you like. What it does highlight is the excess that Premier League clubs have been living through, uh, handing out ridiculous contracts, paying to uh, larger transfer fee, and and now scrambling around to find uh, solutions. Um, Good for business for us, though, David. Keeps us talking. 
Tell you what, let's let's wrap it up there. This has definitely been a two-parter. So much to talk about <laughs> on on this subject for sure, gents. Uh, really appreciate your time. Literally just sat there listening to you both just pass it about. David, Matt, Adam, really appreciate you joining us for the pod. Please remember to rate and review this podcast if you're enjoying it. It's currently just two dollars. That's two pounds a month for twelve months at the Athletic. Go to theathletic.com/forward/slash/football/pod to sign up today. Thank you so much for listening. We are back tomorrow. You've been listening to the Athletic Football Podcast. The producers were Adonis Pratsides and Guy Clark, with additional production by Mike Stavro and Jay Beal. The executive producer was A.D. Moorhead. The Athletic. Looking for the best place to buy tickets for any of your favourite teams or sporting events? We've got the spot. Our partner, StubHub, has been the leading ticket marketplace in the world for over 20 years, providing a 100% guarantee with every order. From a worldwide selection of live events, the widest choice of tickets and industry-leading partnerships, StubHub has what you need to purchase with confidence. StubHub, an official partner of The Athletic.